today on Ag News Daily. Uh, for alfalfa, the shoots are starting to come back, and then it doesn't make any difference whether, uh, well, maybe not the lady, but you or I step on my plant. Good afternoon, everybody. For the first time in probably 10 days, I'm looking out the window and I am seeing sunlight. Delaney, how's it feel? I haven't honestly been outside yet today. I have been cramped up in my apartment all day working on this darn website. Well, and we are deeply appreciative of your efforts. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Ag News Daily. I am Mike Pearson, joined by Delaney Howell. And we are very excited that tomorrow we'll be unleashing sort of the beta version of our website. We'd ask you to get in there and check it out. And if you find bugs, be sure to let us know. We're we're sure there's going to be something that we've missed, but uh, we really want your feedback in fixing it. So keep your eye open for that tomorrow at agnewsdaily.com. So Delaney, you've been working hard. Hopefully you'll have the chance to get outside here before too long. (laughs) But uh, what else is going on? Yeah, I will have time to go outside. I uh, coach for Girls on the Run, which is a running club for girls, which I've talked about before. So we have that here this afternoon. So I will be outside. Thank goodness. But I've just been honestly, I've lost track of time today, but I've been working on the website, putting together some promotional materials, writing articles for a few different people that wanted an article about us. We're going to be featured in the NAFB article airing on the site of agriculture newsletter in june and working on a lot of different projects that is very exciting all good things and uh i know i really appreciate you taking the time to do that stuff i have been um negotiating with a bull (laughs) um and i've been losing negotiations so far (laughs) trying to get him into a trailer and get him back home Mm -hmm. but uh you know he hasn't kicked me in the teeth yet so good yeah yeah, I'm feeling fairly confident. I think then we could have our, you could be like a hillbilly. You'd look like a hillbilly if you kicked your teeth in. That's true. It would make uh, Market to Market this weekend a little more authentic, <laughs> perhaps. <clears throat> yeah. Let's see. Do you have any news for us to be aware of, Delaney? Well, like I said, I've been busy with a lot of other things, but, you know, I think still an item of discussion has been the budget cuts that President Trump has proposed. Secretary Purdue took a lot of heat about the budgets at yesterday's um, appropriations subcommittee meeting. And really, it's not fair to him because he wasn't even he wasn't even really in office when all of these things came down the pipeline back in March when President Trump released a first blueprint for the budget. But he sure is taking a lot of heat about the budget now. Huh. But, again, it's just the proposed budget, and it, you right. know, Congress isn't probably going to take much of anything from it. Is that still your mm-hmm. read on the situation? I don't know. I don't know why they would be so worried if they didn't anticipate taking a lot of the budget. But they said, really, people on both sides of the aisles were teaming up against poor Secretary Purdue. Democrats are worried about the 20% cut to discretionary funding, which would hit rural America with ag research and export promotion. That SNAP funding is still a big item of discussion. And I don't know what it's what's going to happen, obviously, but there's just been a lot of controversy of, uh, I guess, of a we versus them mentality in the White House and in Congress. Gotcha. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of love between uh, Mm -hmm. those two branches of the government. Not at the moment. 
And I did just get an update, President Trump, since we're talking about President Trump. Uh, NPR reports that President Trump's travel ban is still on hold. That uh, that hold on the ban was upheld by the uh, Court of Appeals just uh, just a little bit ago. But I've got some other news that came out of D.C. We talked earlier in the week, Delaney, about the border tax adjustment hearing that happened with the House Ways and Means Committee earlier this week. And uh, CEO for ADM, Juan Luciano, told members of the House Ways and Means Committee that current tax policies favor foreign competitors, which is one reason he says why U.S. export market share for corn, beans, and wheat has declined. And he supports the... Uh, the border tax adjustment and some of the proposals out there, and this is reported by Chris Clayton over at DTN, uh, proposals suggest implementing a tax on imported goods as high as 20%. Mm. Man. Wow. Yeah, that would make, uh, so basically for consumers, we would see prices at you know, Walmarts and Targets and uh, those kind of places rise where there's a lot of goods made overseas. But the bigger concern that ag has had, and I think we've heard this from the American Farm Bureau and a lot of other ag groups, is that once we start putting additional taxes or tariffs on goods that we're importing, other countries would tend to do the same thing, which would leave us all poorer in the long mm-hmm. run. So that's the fear there. All right. Well, we are talking alfalfa and hay and haylage later in the program with our interview today. So I thought that this piece of news was very fitting for that. On AgWeb, they released a story this morning saying the National Alfalfa and Forage Alliance are they started a national checkoff program last year and now that I, now they have decided to fund industry research, which would be the first time that a uh, request for a pro- proposals would be offered. So the initiative is going to give a dollar per bag of alfalfa seed. And so people can submit their ideas for research, um, but they're asking that they be part of one of six areas. And those six areas are yield improvement, cutting management strategies, fertility, soil management, soil health, and macro micronutrients forage quality improvements, weed management strategies, and insect management strategies. So that's pretty exciting. They're going to, it sounds like, do a industry-wide research project here, uh, I think pretty soon, because they want proposals by the end of June. Great. So if you are an alfalfa or grass hay producer, is that grass hay included as well, or is it just... Alfalfa and other legumes. Um, it doesn't specifically say, but if you are interested, you can go to alfalfa.org for more information. Perfect. Yeah, check that out. Let's uh, continue to make American alfalfa the uh, greatest in the world. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the world, Delaney Howell, there was some big news yesterday coming out of Brazil, wasn't there? There was. We were just flooded with information from Brazil lately. Yes. So yesterday, uh, thousands of protesters, in fact, Reuters reports it was tens of thousands of protesters, um, all got together in Brasilia and were protesting. And in the meantime, decided to light one of the ministry's buildings on fire. And it was a huge fire. It's a massive 13-story building. I, I haven't seen any reports of how much damage was done, but it was pretty substantial, at least looking at the pictures. So yesterday, Michel Temer, Brazil's president, said, let's go ahead and turn out the troops, Brazilian Federal Army, to help the law enforcement you know, quell these protests. And naturally, 
that made people a little uncomfortable, made mm -hmm. folks a little nervous in Brazil. So today they have rescinded that order, that decree, so troops are no longer allowed in the streets to assist law enforcement. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, these, these issues in Brazil, of course, are not getting any better very quickly. Definitely not. Have they taken a toll on the markets today, Mike? I haven't had a chance to look. You know, they, they certainly have. We saw the Brazilian Real get uh, get hit a little bit this morning. It was trading the Brazilian Real compared to the American dollar got cheaper, which makes Brazilian soybeans that much cheaper. And mm -hmm. um, I was actually just going to double check that and see how much that had changed here over the afternoon. But uh, I'll give you an update in just a second. In the meantime... <laughs> We did have another report. So as we've talked about before, the a lot of the scandal has been traced back to JBS and the Bautista mm -hmm. brothers, uh, uh, Josley and Wesley. No, Josley and the other brother and Wesley. <laughs> it is Wesley. OK, Josley and Wesley Bautista. They are the owners of JBS. They are the owners of JNF Investimentos, which is really the owner of JBS. And so they are accused of bribing all of these officials, really helping get at least the meat portion of this Brazilian corruption scandal public. And so, of course, now there are. The Brazilian government is trying to settle this. They're trying to punish them. And the Brazilian government wants to fine them uh, 11.2 billion reals, which is about Jeez. $4 billion, mm -hmm. you know, as of yesterday. JNF Investmentos, which is their company, they countered. You know, these guys are negotiators, so they countered. They said, now we're going to pay you 4 billion reals, which is about 1.22 billion. And surprise, surprise, the offer was rejected by the public prosecutor's office on Wednesday. This has been reported reported by Reuters, and uh, they are still going to keep this thing going back and forth and back and forth. Currently, Josely Batista is uh, undergoing plea negotiations uh basically from his role in the bribery scandal. So mm -hmm. very, very interesting uh, developments down there in South America. And we heard Pedro talk about last week how, uh, you know, it was such a uh, such a challenge. Yeah, I was going to ask you, pa Pedro mentioned last week, too, that they had both fled to, I think he said New York. Does it say anything about that in the article? It doesn't. Reuters doesn't talk about that. We'll have to do, uh, do a little more digging and figure out where they are. So chief executive of JBS is Wesley Batista, and he was actually personally in Brasilia earlier yesterday, uh, but he left early afternoon. It does not say anything about where Josley was, so we will uh, continue to keep an eye out for all of these facts as they continue to emerge down there in Brazil. All right, that sounds good. Well, like I said, I have had a short news day or news gathering day today. I just realized I'm still wearing my pajamas and it's almost three o'clock in the afternoon. Good for you, Delaney. Welcome to adulthood. <laughs> I just got up and started working. I didn't brush my hair or do anything else. I think I brushed my teeth, but that's really about it. That's the important one. Yeah. And uh, let's see, I did just pull up the Brazilian Real. Let's take a look and see. It was down today, the, uh, the value did drop. I cannot get my charts to open, so let's see. It was off. Blah, 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 blah. There was the drop. Uh, yeah, a little bit lower yesterday. Still hasn't gone back down as deep as a uh, discount as it was when these allegations against Michelle Temer broke last week. All right. Well, Mike, do you have any other news for today? 
I don't. Why don't you go ahead and read us today's closing market prices so then we can hop right into our interview. I will do exactly that, Delaney Howe. Let's start out by looking at the grains. Corn, front month, July contract dropped two cents, finished the day at 369 and a quarter. The December contract down two and a quarter, closed at 387 and a half. Over in soybeans, there's that continued weakness. July old crop beans dropped eight and three quarter cents to finish the day at 939 and a half. November beans also down eight and three quarters, closed the day at 939 and a quarter. Over in wheat, the Chicago wheat, July contract dropped one and three quarter cents, finished the day at four thirty and three quarters. December wheat dropped one and a quarter, closing the day at four sixty six and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got live cattle showing some strength today. June live cattle up a dollar eighty two and a half, finished the day at one twenty three ninety five. The August contract up a dollar fifty, closed at one twenty one forty two and a half. In feeder cattle, the August contract up two dollars fifty seven and a half cents, finished at one fifty one twenty five. The September contract up two twenty, closed the day at one fifty one oh two and a half. Green all the way down the screen in livestock. Look at lean hogs. Lean hogs up today up 60 cents. The June contract finished at 80.80. The July contract also up 60. Closed the day at 80.45. We are well, well, we're holding above that $80 mark that Jim Burns told us to keep an eye on last week. Mm -hmm. Now we'll see if we can push up towards his target of $90 in the lean hog market. Over in milk, class three milk, the June contract was up 37 cents. Finished at 16.60. So, Delaney, should we throw it over to Dr. Dan Undersander from the University of Wisconsin and hear what folks need to be keeping an eye out for as we get out there to put up hay? Yeah, I think we should. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're joined today by Dr. Dan Undersander. He is a forage agronomist with the University of Wisconsin up in an area where they do know how to put up good hay to keep producing that uh, delicious milk. Now, Dr. Undersander, we have been inundated with moisture here pretty much across the Corn Belt for the past, gosh, feels like forever. What kind of challenges are we looking at to put up decent hay in 2017? It depends a little bit on the animal that we're going to feed it to, and that determines the quality. If we're harvesting for dairy cattle, we would want to harvest at the bud stage or around 28-inch height and uh, that then gives us the quality that we need. If we do that, though, we're sacrificing about 20% on yield. So if we're harvesting for growing animals or beef cattle, we would think of harvesting at first flower, and uh, that should give us that relative forage quality of something around 130 to 140, which is appropriate for growing animals and then only results in about a 10% yield reduction from the maximum yield we could get off those fields. So the dairy quality, again, would be about a 28-inch height or the bud stage, whichever comes first. The beef or growing heifer feed would be about a 32-inch height or first flower, whichever comes first. Gotcha. And you're out in a field today harvesting. How do things look? <laughs> well, right here we've got some alfalfa that's running a little bit late. In Madison, most of the alfalfa should have been harvested last week. Uh, we've got some at the bud stage here this week that we're harvesting. Uh, and we, too, have been held up by rain. 
I'm hoping that since we're putting up haylage, we can mow this morning and harvest this afternoon or tomorrow, depending on drying conditions. We can certainly get it down to about 65% moisture and then put up decent quality haylage without being rained on. Rain, that, that brings up a question I had. What do farmers do if their hay has been rained on? Is it still usable? So that's a very good question. And uh, first, let me back up a step. One of the things, this is the reason that a lot of dairy farmers put up haylage instead of hay, because we don't have to leave it dry so long. Uh, the second thing I would say is that by cutting and putting it into a wide swath, uh, covering 70% of the cut area instead of a windrow will help it dry faster for either hay or haylage, especially for hay. And, and that's an important thing. And then the third thing is, is that we're seeing a lot of beef cattle people start making baleage where they can cut uh, forage, either grass or alfalfa, and then bale it at uh, 50 or 60% moisture. And so they can slip in in two or three days instead of having to wait for it to get dry enough for dry hay. Now, with uh, that baleage, are they then wrapping those bales? Yes, so then we would bale it with a standard baler, though we'd like to make the bale as dense as possible. And then we would come wrap it with plastic. And uh, if it's above 50% moisture, it would ferment like silage. If it's below 50, we're going to preserve it just by excluding oxygen. The molds that spoil alfalfa require oxygen. So if we eliminate those, we can preserve it. Now, so you, yes, baleage is an option. Do you have a when if folks are looking at baleage, do you have a preference between individually wrapped bales or tube wrapped bales? I mean, do they both accomplish the same thing? <laughs> both can accomplish the same thing, but I think that which you go individually wrapped or tube wrapped depends more on your herd size and how many you're going to feed per day. If you have a tube you should have enough animals eating it that you can feed two or three bales a day. If your herd is smaller than that, then you would go to individually wrapped. Uh, the reason we don't individually wrap for large herds is that it's too much plastic. Mm. A tube will save about 40% on plastic compared to individually wrapping. Dr. Understander, I want to back up here a step, and this might be a very basic question, but what is the difference between hay and haylage? Oh, very good question. So <clears throat> basically, haylage is put up at around 60% moisture. Uh, it is put up in an area either wrapped in plastic or in a bunker or a tube. Uh, so that the oxygen is excluded, and then uh, bacteria that grow in the absence of oxygen ferment, and they convert some of the starch and sugar to acid, lactic acid, which helps preserve that forage. So haylage is fermented, and then in the other situation, hay would generally be need to be put up at 14 to 16% moisture, depending on bale size, so that it uh, is dry enough that the mold won't grow on it. The other alternative is to put up hay and treat with acid. Uh, we can put up hay as wet as 25% moisture and treat with acid, and then the acid will keep the molds from growing. 
so that we're preserving that dry forage for cattle. So hay is dry, haylage is fermented. Now the so big, is there, go ahead, Delaney. Is is there really then a correct way, or is it just dependent on weather? What advice would you give to farmers if they're dis- considering raising hay or haylage? The 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 method you would use depends on a couple things. Um, hay is easier to transport, so some of your listening audience are commercial hay growers. They want to ship it. And so the hay, because it has less water, is less weight to haul. Also, you don't have to worry about carrying the plastic. So so dry hay is usually the product of choice for commercial hay growers that are going to sell to somebody else. Haylage is a little bit more costly because you do have the cost of the plastic and the wrapping, but it is a way to put up quality forage that a farmer might use on his or her farm that is that um, has more moisture in it so it's a way to get a, and it works particularly well for maybe people who have a full-time job that have more constraints on the time they can cut today bale it and wrap it tomorrow or the day after without worrying about whether or not it's going to rain so uh, baleage is nice for people with full-time jobs baleage is nice for people at need to try to get in between rain showers, hay is better if you're going to sell it commercially. Now, Dr. Undersander, let's say the worst case scenario happens. I get out there. I cut my hay today. The sun is shining. I put it in a wide swath, and tonight it takes an inch of rain. Do I need to tet it? Can I rake it a couple of times? What's the best way to try to salvage some of the quality from that hay? So we kind of have two different uh, situations, whether we have a grass hay or alfalfa. Uh, But yes, in a wide swath, if it gets an inch of rain on it, uh, in in either case, we would first want to loosen it up a little bit with a tether or with a rake set simply to fluff up the swath and let it dry because the inch of rain is going to push that hay down into the ground and it won't dry once the rain is done. Uh, the other consideration is that the um, we're always worrying about rained on hay, but again, an advantage of either baleage or haylage is if we're going to put it up wet and it gets rained on, uh, we don't lose as much as if it's nearly dry for hay and then it gets rained on because when it's nearly dry, then leaves are knocked off. Uh, protein is leached out, starch is leached out, and so we do have a lesser quality if it is rained on and close to being dry enough to make hay. The rained on loss for wet forage for haylage is much less. Now, is it uh, what is it a substantial difference if we're talking grass hay versus alfalfa? Well, the advantage of grass hay is that the leaves don't shatter and fall off so much. So uh, then we would tend uh, once or maybe even twice for grass hay uh, with, and then rake it into a windrow and bale it if we're going towards hay. For alfalfa, we would tend once and try not to have to tend it again before we rake it or merge it because as those leaves dry and we tend, we shake them off. So we have a much greater loss to quality and tonnage 
from tending alfalfa than we do from tending grass. What are some factors or problems as you're out in the field today and as you've obviously studied this for a long time, what are some common things affecting farmers today that they should maybe watch out for? Well, um, so one of the questions I'm getting a lot of is uh, for those farmers that are making haylage, uh, if it's been in the field for a couple days, we, of course, recommend using an inoculant, a lactobacillus plantarum, which is that uh, bacteria that converts the starches and sugars to acid. We think if we add some to the forage when we ensile it, we improve the rapidity and the quality of the fermentation. On the other hand, if hay has been laying in the field for three days, we're probably so low on starch and sugar that we don't have food for the bacteria. So then we would recommend not adding bacteria, but rather adding about two pounds of propionic acid per ton of wet forage as it's going into the bunker or silo to help preserve it. So one question is, do I inoculate or not? And the answer is three days or more in the field, probably not, but use acid. Um, the other kind of thing that we're running into is these wet fields. And, of course, we're going to do some damage to them driving over the wet fields. Um, I actually saw a field the other day where a caterpillar was pulling the trucks out of the field. Mm. Uh, that's a bad deal, but he needed to get the hay off. Um, recognize that the minimum that we can drive over these fields, the uh, less damage we're going to do to the alfalfa and or grass. And there's two kinds of damage uh, with alfalfa as it's starting to come back once we get into the flower stage. Uh, we break off stems and hurt the next yield. With both alfalfa and grass, if we leave ruts in the field, it becomes harder for making hay, mowing it and making hay the next cutting that we're in the field. So um, a key thing is to drive over the field as little as possible. One of the things we've learned it, is that uh, using a bigger mower is helpful. So when fields are wet now, maybe hiring a contract harvester to at least mow it with a 16 or 18 foot mower is better than using our 10 foot mower hmm. with a 10 foot mower. If we mow it and rake it, we cover 140% of the field with wheel traffic. Oh, if wow. we go to a six, if we go to a six foot mower and then mow it and use a double wide rake, which we'd recommend, you're only going to cover about 70% of the field with wheel traffic. So, huge difference in mower size and equipment size on the amount of traffic in the field. That's interesting. So even the heavier weight equipment pulling the, the bigger mower, the double rake, does less damage than covering it more times with lighter equipment like a like a 10-foot mower. That's right. Huh. And particular, particularly as we get a little bit late in harvesting uh, for alfalfa, the shoots are starting to come back, and then it doesn't make any difference whether... Uh, well, maybe not Delaney, but you or I step on my plant, <laughs> or whether it's a 20,000-pound tractor. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Dr. Understander, Delaney, do you have any other questions? No, I think that was really informative. 
Dr. Undersander, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it, especially as uh, the sun comes out and eventually this rain has to come to an end and we can get out in the field. Well, we hope so. And uh, uh, good luck on, on all of your farmers. And, and also, if, if you want to talk to me again, just you've got my phone number now or email. Set up a time and we can do this. Again, that was Dr. Dan Undersander. And, you know, I didn't know, I don't know a lot about hay. I don't have any hay fields myself, but I do have some awful memories growing up of baling hay. Of small square bales, Delaney? Yes. Oh, the idiot box. <laughs> the idiot box. I've never heard yeah. that one. I heard some old farmer use that phrase, and it stuck with me ever since because, Ugh. you know, just like so many in the ag industry, yeah, I spent a couple summers uh, pitching more of those than I'd care to remember, which is why I round bale everything. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't think we've done small bales for a really long time. There's yeah, probably a reason. To, to justify, mm-hmm. you know, the, the extra labor and the expense. Yeah. But, yeah, a whole lot of stuff to consider when you're getting out there, especially in a year with such challenging weather as we've seen so far this year in much of the Corn Belt. Yes, definitely. Let's see, Delaney, do we have anything tuned up yet for tomorrow? Got a few irons in the fire. Fantastic. And the agnewsdaily.com website will be live. We encourage folks to get in there and check that out. And, of course, always find us on Twitter and on Facebook. And am I forgetting anything? I just want to give a short, I think you said this already, but our web designer guys forewarned us that the website will most definitely have a few glitches tomorrow as we are getting things live. So please be patient with us. We know it's probably going to be a little glitchy tomorrow and this weekend, but we're just excited to have a final product. So you you don't think that we're all just lying to you about having an actual website. That's right. So get on there, please. By all means, check it out. You can find all of our podcast history on the site as well as an area to subscribe so the podcast just comes right into your email every day. You don't have to worry about iTunes or Google Play or Mm -hmm. any of those type of scenarios. So with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.